Hey, today I'm super excited, but before I kind of get into today, I wanted to just uh, talk about something I was not planning on talking about, and uh, I just want to talk about God's faithfulness for a second. Can I do that? We all let me do that just for a second? Okay. Because I think we all need to be encouraged this morning. Yeah, please, come on. I needed to be reminded. Uh, First thing is this, 12 years ago yesterday, I proposed to Stephanie, and she said yes, all right, so that's pretty cool. I'm happy about that. Talk about God's faithfulness. I didn't realize that until it popped up on my Facebook, and then I started seeing who Clint Lamberth was 12 years ago. I have no idea how anyone decided to marry me. I'm like, I, I, I was very dumb, all right, but, uh, but I'm glad she did, but that was really cool. Second thing, this is a lot less fun I wanted to remind you of, is that this is going to drive me crazy. Hold on. Okay, second thing I want to remind us of is two years ago, this week, the world shut down because of COVID. Now, I don't know what your experience was with COVID. I know some people lived in Seattle during that. I'm so sorry. Y'all got it first over there, right? And uh, I remember we had just left um, an amazing church where we had great jobs, making plenty, you know, we were doing fine financially and and we left all that. We were like, hey, we're going to go charge hell with a water pistol, baby. We're moving back to Sumner County. We're going to plant a church. And uh, it's going to be, we're going to have a 1,000 people there on launch Sunday, guys. That's what we, I mean, like, we were like, we're going to have these parties. And two weeks after we moved here, we were living with some friends until we were able to move into the house that we live in now. And we had six kids under six under that roof. But it was okay because we would leave during the day and Steph and I would take turns. We'd be meeting with people, all this kind of stuff. Well, all of a sudden, the world shuts down and we're stuck in this house with six kids under six in another family's home. And uh, I remember it did not take long for me to feel like planting this church was impossible. Like, this can't happen. It won't happen. Like, we can't even be around people. How has God... Can God provide for us? I mean, everyone's losing their jobs. Is God going to provide the money just to launch the church? Not let alone, like, are we going to be able to eat? Are we going to have, like, there was a lot tied into this. And when the world shut down, I remember thinking, this is impossible. And time and time again over the last two years, God has proven that, man, he is, when, when something feels impossible, that's the prerequisite for a miracle. And, uh, and so God has continually provided in every single way the last two years. When we felt like this was impossible, God came through every single time. And God somehow provided above what we needed to raise in order to launch this church, which thank God for that. But beyond money and what it did, it's very expensive to start a church if y'all don't know that, but beyond that, the people God provided has been unbelievable. It's not anything that Steph and I would have ever dreamt of, it's so much better. And God is just so faithful. So I want to encourage you today, if you're in a situation that feels impossible, God can't fill in the blank, right? Like, God, we just can't. Let me tell you, God can't. And you might be right. You might not be able to but God can. And one verse that I'm sure, if you're at our church, if you've been from our, at our church since day one, you're tired of this verse. It's Galatians 3.9. It says, don't grow weary in doing what is good. Man, when you're doing a good work, this is off the verse now. The Bible doesn't say, man, when you're doing it. No, he doesn't say that. But 
when you're doing something good, it's often really hard. And the, 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 the symbolism that's used in the, in the Bible was, um, it was a phrase that would encourage moms when they were giving birth. Like, if you've ever given birth in here, apparently it's pretty hard. Um, you know, I don't know anything about it, but apparently it's hard. Uh, but I remember with Lucy, whenever uh, Stephanie was giving birth to Lucy, there was a point where she was like, I can't, she, she was saying, I can't do this, I can't do this. And I remember going over there and I said, is there anything I can do for you? And she said, never do this to me again. <laughs> that was what she said. But then in all seriousness, it was like, uh, I, someone had to rally around her and go, you can do this, right? When you wanna give up, that's when you shouldn't grow weary in doing what is good. Like you can't because the rest of that verse says, because at the right time, you will, say will, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. That's what it says. So, I mean, what have we learned in the last two years? Be faithful, keep showing up, and keep going at it because at some point, you're gonna see a harvest. And we felt like we were entering to a year of harvest this year of 2022. And I love it because now, last year, it just felt like we were sowing seeds. Every, we were just planting seeds every week, planting seeds, planting seeds. And now we have little sprouts popping up. And it's like, man, this is the beginning of a harvest. I'm so excited. And I just want us to give God a hand for his faithfulness. It's been great. We can't take any credit for it, but God, God's done everything. Okay. <sighs> All right, Pastor Stephanie is back. Our universe in our house is just settled. I mean, when she was gone, I mean, the kids were just terrible, right? And then she got home, and I was just, I'm so thankful she's back. But uh, we started a new series last week called You Asked For It, okay? And uh, we answered some questions. I'll go over those questions in a second. But we talked about how everything that we do has to filter through God's word. Like you, 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 we, and we'll get to this in a second. Don't put this slide up right now because it's going to throw me off. But we don't change the Bible to kind of fit our views. Like we change our views to fit in the Bible. Our Bible is everything. And if we're looking at the world through our lenses, things might look the same, but they're going to be all turned upside down. All right. So I need a, a volunteer. All right. Can someone, does anyone want to volunteer? All right. Come on up, Michaela. All right. Are you, can you draw? You can sing, but can you draw? Okay. Throw these on, all right, uh, for me, and then huh, that way. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, okay, so, I'll, hold, okay, can you reach that? I don't even know where it is. Okay, there you go, okay. I'll explain what she's seen in a second. Here you go, you need this. Uh, and you can take the tap the, the cap off because that'll be funny. All right, so uh, she has some goggles on. I bought this game. I'll give it to one of you guys in a second. It's called the Upside Down Game, Upside Down Game. And so she is seeing you guys... But the problem is, it's completely upside down to her. If you put these goggles on, like the ceiling is the floor, the floor, I mean, these lights look crazy. Yeah, don't try to walk or anything. You're, you got a couple of feet before you're off the stage, so, so don't move. But this is a, how it's like a lot of times when we try to view the world through our lenses. We might be able to see things and they might be able to look the same, but the problem is, is that when we see it through our perspective, through our life experiences, it turns it upside down a little bit. And so it's so important for us to see the world through God's word, to filter our questions about the world through God's word, because it, it, even though we might be seeing the same things with our goggles on, when we take the goggles off, we see the world how it's supposed to be. Now, I know Michaela for years and she's very smart. She's smarter than I am. I would be willing to bet that you could function with these goggles on. If we gave you these goggles for 90 days and you weren't allowed to take them off, you could probably learn how to function with these goggles on. But the problem is, 
Like you could probably walk off the stage and sit down at your seat, but if you try to get in a car right now, how far would you make it? I would not. Exactly. <laughs> because practically speaking, even though the world, can, we can adjust the way we see things based on what the goggles we have on, practically speaking, when we try to work out things, it's going to screw us up. So here's what I want you to do. I want you on this whiteboard here, I'm going to give you 15 seconds. And I want you to draw a simple little house. Don't start yet. I want you to draw a simple little house with the sky, a sun in the sky and two clouds. All right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count, count down from three, and you're going to draw me a house with the sun in the sky and just two clouds. It can be as, you know, something that my kids would draw. That doesn't have to be crazy. All right, here we go. Three, two, one, go. Now, she is doing this, and this is something that she could probably easily do if, and I hope it doesn't look too good. All right, don't make it look like it's going to ruin the illustration if it's too good. So mess it up a little bit. But... You know, it's, it, all right, we're good. All right, you're, you're good. Okay, okay, all right, there you go. So take it off. Now look at what you drew. You'll, if you put these on, you would come to understand, when you, when you had the goggles on, doing something simple, answering a simple question, drawing something simple becomes real hard. Why? Because you're not seeing things the way you're intended to see them. And so uh, whenever we look at the Bible, and we we uh, and we 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 try to go at life through our opinions, through our political views, uh, through what we see on Facebook, through what our friends think, for through how we are raised. Uh, if it's not through God's word, our lives are going to look like this. Like you can kind of tell that that's a sun, I guess, right? But that house, I don't know what that is over there. But you can kind of tell, but it's not right. And so, thank you. Y'all give Michaela a hand. You can have a seat. Here you go. Um. But I want to I want to teach us. Okay, this is what this series is wanting intended. To, I want to intend to do with the series is I want to teach you how to put the right like take the goggles off. Let's view the world how we're supposed to view it. We're supposed to do it through God's word. And sometimes God's word says stuff that we don't like that goes against the way we were raised. That goes against like what we think should be right. And but whenever we like decide to put the goggles on, things might look similar, but they're upside down. It's not right. And so I want, to, I want us to come at these questions with a biblical worldview and how God intends us to see the world. Because when we practically live out what the Bible says, our lives begin to change. And we begin to shape the, the world around us begins to come into focus. And it, we're able to see it the way that God intended to do it. So I want to remind us of the three things that we talked about first last week. The first one is this. We don't change the Bible to fit our views. We change our views to fit the Bible. Okay. Um, we don't change the Bible to fit into our views. We change, uh, we use the Bible to change our views. And so maybe you're going to hear something today that you're like, huh, I didn't know that. Well, you have room to change here at this church. I have room to change at this church. I might teach you something today that in five years from now, I might go, you know what? My thoughts on this have changed on more research and all that kind of stuff. But I'm going to change to fit the Bible, not the other way around. The Bible says this in Psalm 119.11. It says, I have hidden your word. Y'all say word word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So I'm going to hide, I'm going to put your word into my heart so deeply that it's going to change the way that I act. It's going to change the way I love people. It's going to change me so that I can live a life that's more intended how you want me to live, a, a life with less sin in it, right? Uh, so we're, gonna, we're not going to change the Bible to fit our views. We're going to change our views to fit the Bible. Second thing is this, 
is the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe that God is the ultimate author of the Bible. God used the Holy Spirit to inspire the people to write what they wrote when they wrote the Bible. So they may have held the pen, but God was writing the words. That's what we kind of believe about the Bible. God used 40 different people over the span of 1,600 years to write the Bible, and it's all thematically like correct. It's crazy. That can never happen if we try to uh, replicate that even here right now. Number three, the Bible can be trusted. The Bible can be trusted. I told you last week, this is the thing that's on attack more in culture than anything. Did the Bible, did they really like, did Jonah really get swallowed by a fish and live in a fish for three days? Like, did, did that really, come on, it, do, is that just like a, a metaphor? Okay, no, the Bible can be trusted. If the Bible says it, I believe it. That's just how I like to live my life. In fact, there was a French philosopher named Voltaire, and he said this in the 1600s. He said, in a hundred years, the Bible will be a forgotten and unknown book. That's what he said in the 1600s. Newsflash Voltaire, here's what the Bible said long before you ever existed. It says this in 1 Peter, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Like, come on, this is the most uh, despised, uh, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, outlawed, and destroyed book of all time. There's not been more scrutiny on any book in, in history, but the Bible has stood the test of time. It can be trusted. It's God's divine way of preserving what he says throughout all of history. The word of the Lord stands further. One more thing. The Bible can be trusted because the Bible has life-changing power. Like it can legit change your life. It says this in John 8. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And some people struggle so much that if they would just get into God's word, they would see that God's word has the power to change you. I think the Bible can be trusted. And I think it can be trusted because, man, it stood the test of time. It can legit change your, your life. And then listen, it's not about you getting into the Bible. It's about the Bible getting into you. And when you let the Bible get into you, you begin to change. All right, so there's my, and I'll say it again, I reserve the right to be wrong about any of this that I'm about to tell you, but... I research really good, and I feel pretty confident about it. All right, so last week, here's what we answered. Uh, one of the, the first question was, why did Jesus pick 12 disciples? Why not three? Why not six? And I told you it was because Jesus was building a new kingdom, and it was centered around him. So he was kind of reshaping the Jewish culture when he picked 12 disciples. Next one, we said, well, we see our pets in heaven. Quick answer, the Bible doesn't really say, but we do know that there are horses there. So there are some animals in heaven, right? Who knows? The, the Harris's horses might end up there one day. Jesus might come back on one of those. Right, that might be kind of cool. Probably not, but you know who knows. Um, but who knows? Maybe I, I don't know if that makes you feel better or worse. But who knows? They could be there. Will I still go to heaven if I don't tithe? Yes, we talked about that last week. Tithing, you have nothing to do with you getting to heaven. It's it's you accepting the, the gift that Jesus gave you, which was free. It was grace. So you can't tithe your way to heaven. My question back to you is, but why would you want to? The Bible talks about in Malachi that when we bring our tithes to the storehouse, when we bring our tithes to the churches, um, that God, it says, watch me, I will open up heaven and give you more blessings than you can even hold. So why would you want to go to heaven without tithing? All right, the next one is, is there such things as once saved, always saved, saved. I said, I would rephrase this and say, if saved, always saved. And the last one, why did God create sin? Whew. 
God did not create sin, but he allowed it, all right? So that question kind of makes it seem like it's God's fault that we sin, and the Bible clearly says it's never God's fault that we sin. It's our fault that we, uh, it's our fault that we sin, so, and it's always our fault. So are you ready to kind of get into today's questions? Y'all ready? Are y'all ready? Are y'all with me this morning? Come on, I need some head nodding. I need something. All right, here we go. First one, why did Jesus curse the fig tree? This one's from our lovely Christiana back here. And uh, I got to be honest, I had to do some deep diving on this one, okay? So uh, she sent me to work on this one. So this is a very fascinating story in the Bible. And if you were just to read the Bible, you'd be like, what in the world just happened there? It was super, so random. Like, why is it even in the Bible? I'm going to read it to you right now. It's in Mark 11, starting at verse 12. It says, the next morning... Okay, so let me paint the picture. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to ride the donkey and on Palm Sunday, right? Like he's going to ride the donkey and people are going to go crazy and they love him. The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Anybody ever been hungry in here? Anyone ever been hangry in here? Come on. Anybody a little hangry right now? It's okay. You can be honest. All right, we'll get you out of here in 17 minutes. Here we go. Uh, the next morning, he was hungry. All right, Jesus was a human being. I just want y'all to understand this before we go any further. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf. Y'all say full leaf. Come on, full leaf, a little, a little way off. So he went over there to see if he could find any figs. He's like, listen, man, I'm just hungry. There's a fig tree. I'm gonna go eat some figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus looked at the tree and he said, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples, they heard him say it. All right, so if you move on past this, something else happens. Uh, Jesus actually goes from this point. Again, he's hangry, all right? He goes, and that's when he starts turning tables over in the temple, literally like right after this, all right? So my first reaction when I started this is like, Jesus is human. He's a little tired, he's a little hungry, and that really made him mad, right? And so he's flipping over tables. Well, they go back the next day, and the disciples notice that, that, was, that, that there used to be a tree there, and they see that there's a shriveled up, withered tree, completely dead, gone. And they look at Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, wasn't that the tree you cursed yesterday? Like, that's crazy. And he was like, yep, it was. So what does that mean? Like, that, like, that seems kind of mean. Like, what? I wish Jesus would do that to the weeds and my grass, right? But he didn't. And so uh, the problem, I want you all to understand, there's actually a lot that we can gather from this story. The problem wasn't that the tree didn't have any figs. Okay, that wasn't the problem. That's not what made Jesus upset. The problem was that the tree had leaves. It was in full leaf, but it had no figs. The tree... It was giving all the right signs that there'd be figs on it. Like it looked healthy, it had leaves. And the understanding thing about fig trees is that if they have leaves, they have figs. Like they come, they're synonymous. Like if they have leaves, that's how they would be able to tell, I can go pick from this tree because it has leaves. Like it, that is the sign the tree gives off that, hey, I'm ripe, come get the figs, right? So the problem was that it didn't have figs. The problem was is that it had leaves and no figs. It was given all the right signs that it had the right fruit, but it actually had nothing to offer. And uh, the, the best way I can describe this is how many of you have ever drove, driven by a Krispy Kreme before and you see the flashing red neon sign that says, these donuts are hot and fresh. Come on, has anyone ever done that? How many have ever ever had a hot and fresh donut from Krispy Kreme? That's what heaven's like. I just want to tell you right now, that's what heaven's going to be like. So say you're driving down Gallatin Road over here, you're passing that sign, and you're like, oh boy, I could go for some Krispy Kreme. Like right now, the sign is on. I'm going, I'm turning in right now, I'm going to get me a dozen donuts. And you pull up to the window, and you're like, hey, I'll take a dozen donuts. And they say, we don't have any donuts. 
You'd be like, the sign. It's blinking. It's on, right? Like, what if you pulled into Chick-fil-A? Not today. God bless them. They're closed on Sundays. But you pull up to Chick-fil-A and you're like, man, I just, I could go for some chicken minis right now. Like, that just really feels like I could do that. And you get up to the window and you're like, hey, this is Chick-fil-A. And you get up there and say, hey, can I have, can I have some chicken minis? And they go, you know what? We're out of chicken. We don't have any chicken. You'd be like, are you kidding me? Like, this is crazy, right? Like, imagine if you went to a Taylor Swift concert and she sang none of her songs, right? Like she sang other people's songs. You'd be like, I didn't pay $1,000 to go see a, a Billy Joel concert. I paid to go to Taylor Swift, right? You'd be upset. This is why Jesus is upset. He goes to this fig tree and it has no fruit. It doesn't have what it's advertising that it should have. And the same is true in our lives. In the Bible Belt, we are very, very good at being fig trees with leaves, But when people walk up to us and they're wanting to glean something from you, they're trying to get a little God from you, a little Jesus from you. Too many of us don't have figs, but we have the leaves. We advertise, hey, look at my life. I I look like I have it all together. I look like that I'm doing the right things. My social media looks perfect. I have no problems. My kids are perfect. My house is always clean. But really, like you're just giving off all the signs that you're a Christian, but there's no fruit to really show it. And this story shows us how Jesus feels about that. Our lives, if we're to be true Christ followers, we need to have leaves and we need to have some figs too. Like you, you, you can't have one without the other. And so this is really a story about integrity. Like, are you gonna be who you look like you are? Like when no one's around, are you gonna be the same person? Like how do you treat your spouse when no one's around? How do you treat that employee, that poor waitress at the restaurant when they get your order wrong? How do you treat uh, people when you're out of town on work trips? Are you the same? Or do you just look like you have figs and you have none? So that's why Jesus cursed the fig tree. He was telling us a story about like, no, we need to look the part and actually be the part that we're supposed to play because nobody wants to go to Krispy Kreme when the sign's on and then not have any donuts. Can I get an amen from somebody? Come on. All right. Does that answer the question? Satisfy you? Okay, great. All right. How old was Jesus when the wise men visited him? This was a fun little question. All right, here's what the Bible says. Matthew chapter two. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod about that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. All right, so Jesus, this says that Jesus was born in about that time. So around that time. All right, so this isn't the day. They did not show up. We do know they did not show up the day that he was born. It was around the time he was born. So what's a wise man? A wise man back then was uh, an astrologer, okay? So you think about how horoscopes now, like people, that all came from people like this back in the day. And uh, they would read the stars and the signs in the sky and I'm not condoning horoscopes. I just want to say that I don't believe in that. I don't think that's necessarily the best thing to do. But um, they would look at the stars and they would determine things and they would actually counsel kings and they would go, hey, based on the stars in the sky, you can move forward with overtaking that country over there. They're going you're, to, you know, you're going to have the victory because Jupiter and Saturn are aligned in the sky, right? They would do stuff like that. Well, one day, um, a, a new star kind of appears that piques their interest. They're like, okay, what is this? And they start figuring out with all their, their math and all that kind of stuff, like, okay, this looks like it's coming from over here. 
And so it was significant enough for them to pack up a whole caravan of people. It wasn't just three little kings. Like this was a whole crew of people. And they went hundreds and possibly even thousands of miles over the course of months over to get to Jesus. And so when they arrive, they actually go to the palace because they thought they interpreted through this star in the sky that this was going to be a king that was born. So they went to the palace. And when they get to the palace, they're like, hey, they're supposed to be a king born, right? Like we saw a star in the sky and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. And so one person heard them and they actually said, hey, it was actually Jesus. Jesus was born. And whenever they uh, found that out, the star actually moves and sits over the place where Jesus was living at the time. And so here's what the Bible says, starting in verse nine, Matthew chapter two. It says, after this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had been, uh, that had, they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped at the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the, what's that word? Come on, what's that word? Not the, not, the, not the stable that he was born in. They entered a house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, uh, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay, a um, couple things about this. Notice it says they entered into a house. So this had to have been some time after Jesus was born. They had moved out of the cave that they had gave birth to Jesus in. Jesus had upgraded possibly from a manger to a crib at this point, right? Like he, he, they, they'd upgraded their housing situation. A lot of people believe that Jesus was anywhere between six months to two years. Uh, I think it's closer to the two-year mark because uh, in another translation, it says that the wise men actually presented their gifts to Jesus. Now, if he was too young to not really understand what was going on, that he was getting gifts, they would have just given it to Mary. They would have given the gifts to Mary, but it says they actually gave the gifts to Jesus, which makes me think he was old enough to interact with a little bit, like old enough to go, hey, dude, I got you this. You know, like you ever give a little kid something exciting? I think that's kind of what happens a little bit, but Beyond all that, all right, so I think he was probably closer to two years old, but he was definitely not an infant anymore. He was like a little baby, little kid, little toddler, something like that. But what can we take from this story? Is One thing is uh, wise men always seek Jesus. And I don't want us to get lost on this. And when they get there, they know who they're in the presence of. I love that it says they got there and they immediately worshiped him and they gave him something. Our lives are always worth worshiping Jesus. Like, we always need to seek Jesus in everything that we do. We need to find Jesus in everything that we do. Even if it takes a lot of work, even if it takes a lot of resources, even if it takes a lot of time, are we committed enough to take that journey to go, you know what, I'm gonna find Jesus in this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna search for Jesus in this. And when I get there, I'm gonna worship him. Wise men always seek Jesus. Wise men always worship Jesus. And wise men always give something to Jesus, all right? So next question. What is speaking in tongues? All right, who's nervous right now? All right, no, we're, so we're not gonna we're not gonna do anything weird. All right, I, I do want to talk on this. All right, so uh, when we ask Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, we get what's called spiritual gifts. Y'all say spiritual gifts. And the Bible talks about several in several different places in the New Testament, the spiritual gifts that we receive when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us, okay? So when we get saved, we have the opportunity then to receive the Holy Spirit into our lives. And the Holy Spirit in the Bible is actually referred to as the advocate, the helper. And he's the thing that's inside of you that helps you become more like Jesus. He helps you make the best decisions. He, he, he gives you the gifts so that you can serve and fulfill the part of the body that you're supposed to fulfill, 
And there are several places in the Bible that actually talk about spiritual gifts. Here, if you put up the next slide, Jordan, um, here's all the spots that it talks about different spiritual gifts. And so the Bible kind of has this big list of spiritual gifts. Now, I don't believe that that's an exhaustive list. I don't think that everything, I think there, there could be more things than this that the Spirit can give us, okay? And the Spirit, and I'm just going to read off the, the list of the spiritual gifts, just the Bible list, and it says, and it's this, administration, being an apostle, discernment, evangelism, exhortation, which means like spiritual encouragement, right? Uh, faith, giving, healing, helps, hospitality, knowledge, leadership, mercy, prophecy, serving, speaking in tongues, teaching, sometimes known as shepherding, and wisdom. Those are the ones that are listed in the Bible. If you look up those verses, that's going to be in there right there. So there are several different gifts in the Spirit. And we all get hung up on this one gift all the time. Like this is like the weird one, the one that like some people have gotten right, some people have gotten way wrong. Maybe you had a terrible experience with the speaking in tongues when you were growing up and people pressured you into doing something or, or whatever. Like a lot, this is the one that gets most of the attention, but I just want to tell us before we go any further, speaking in tongues is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a group of a lot more. And we get hung up on this one thing, Okay. Is it a gift of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Does Oasis Church believe in this gift of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely, we do. I believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe that each individual member of the, of the body of Christ has a spiritual gift. And I just wanna tell you straight up right now, if a gift is gonna make me closer to God, I want it, all right? I, I want that gift, and I ask God for those gifts. And I listen, if it's gonna make me closer to God, I want it. And so I don't want us, before I kind of answer this question, I don't want us to get hung up on this spiritual gift because they're, not one is more important than the other. I don't believe that. I don't think the Bible teaches that. But being a person that's filled with the Holy Spirit means you have something to offer. And this might be the gift that you have. You might have a gift of speaking in tongues. That's great. Um, at Oasis, we believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and uh, speaking in tongues is a way that, that people have described uh, as your spirit talking to God's spirit in a way that only you can do through speaking in tongues. And that's the, kind of the best way I can describe it, I think, of what the Bible teaches. There's another version of speaking in tongues that's in Scripture that happened on the day of Pentecost where Peter was sharing a sermon and he was talking to a group of people that was honestly from all over the world that spoke many different languages. And so Peter was talking and somehow God was supernaturally changing what people are hearing. So if I was in this room right now and you didn't speak English, I'm talking in English right now, but you would have heard what Peter was saying in your own language. That was a version of speaking in tongues. I've heard of this happening on the mission field and stuff like that uh, even today, which is kind of crazy. So there's different ways the Bible teaches us speaking in tongues, but it's, it's the way that our spirit communicates with God's spirit sometimes if you have a gift in speaking in tongues. Um, but again, I don't want us to get so hung up on this that we miss out on the exhortation spiritual gift that we miss out on the faith spiritual gift or the knowledge or the shepherding spiritual gift. That's one of many spiritual gifts. What I care about is, man, do you have the Holy Spirit inside of you? Because if you do, man, these gifts are gonna come really, really naturally to you, all right? Next question, and the next three questions are kind of like more introspective a little bit. Here's the next one. It says, why me? Someone asked us this, why me? I love the honesty of this question. Why me? And if you're in here and you wrote that question, I want to let you know something. You're in great company. The Bible is full of people who ask the question, why me? Moses, 
Moses had the biggest job in the world. He had to rescue millions of Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And he had to go confront the most powerful person in the known world. And God says, hey, I want you to go do it. The first thing Moses says is like, can't you find someone else? Like, why me? Like, why? I can't even talk. Like, why me, right? If if Paul felt the same way on the road to Damascus. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right? He gets blinded. And now he, God says, hey, I know you've been killing Christians. You've actually been persecuting me in the process, but I've chosen you to bring the good news to the, everyone else in the world, the Gentiles. And Paul's sitting there going, why me? Like, don't you know what I've done, God? Don't you know my past? Another story that's perfect for this question is Esther. Have you ever heard about Esther? Great woman of God in the Bible. And Esther, she was a Jewish woman. And her people been taken captive, and the king, who was the person that took her her family, her people captive, saw her, thought she was so pretty that he brought her up to be a queen. And the thing was back then that uh, it was really hard to actually address the king. Like the king could just look at you and say, "I want her dead, chop her head off." Right? Like he was just he was in charge. And so, uh, but the problem was is that there was a bad guy uh, named Haman who was killing all the Jews. He was actually building huge, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're, they wanted to hang all the Jews. So whatever the things, what's it called? Gallows. There we go. They were, they were building gallows and they were going to hang all the Jews like publicly in front of everybody and hang them all. They were trying to take out all the Jews. Imagine a Holocaust before the Holocaust, right? He was planning on doing something like that. And all of a sudden Esther, she gets brought up into this position of royalty where she has some influence. And her uncle Mordecai finds her outside of the city gates one day. And Mordecai, her uncle, he says this, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and the relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives are gonna die. It's gonna happen after you. And then he makes this statement. He says, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? Like he was looking at her saying, hey, listen, God might use somebody else to rescue us, but what if you were made queen for such a time as this to save us all? I would ask you the same question. Instead of asking, why me? I think God is looking at us going, why not you? Like maybe you were made for such a time as this. I believe that about every single person in here. It is not an accident that you are around the people that you are around. Why you? I don't know. There's something inside of you that God sees that can be the answer to the people that you touch the most. Why you? Maybe that person that you're closest to in your life needs that spiritual gift that he put inside of you. Why, like, instead of asking, why me? Why not you? Why not be the person that starts a church in a pandemic? I I had to fight through that. Like, God, why did you pick me to do this? This is crazy. I feel like an insane person. Well, why not? Man, why not you? Why can't God use you? Well, you don't want the past. I don't care. God's gonna use your past. And a lot of us, we fight that. And we go, God can't use me because I've done these things. God can't. No, that's a bunch of hogwash. God's going to use you because of your past. He wants to use you. So why, why you? Man, because you have something to offer people. People need to hear that inside of you. So I love that you asked this question, whoever it is, I don't know who it is, but I would just encourage you, like, God, maybe you were made for such a time as this, just like Esther. God's going to use you in a big way. All right, next one. Did Jesus ever struggle? My gosh, did Jesus ever struggle? Let's look at this because I believe that this can provide every single person in here with some encouragement today. Um, uh, Just because Jesus had a sinless life does not mean that Jesus had a perfect life. I'm gonna say that again. 
Just because Jesus had a sinless life does not mean that Jesus had a perfect life. Would any of you consider being crucified and whipped with the cat of nine tails 39 times a perfect life? No, like no. And I would even argue that being a sin, having a sinless life might be the worst life to have because you have expectations you're having to meet, right? Like there's nobody that had expectations like Jesus did. Can you imagine being Jesus's brother or sister and him never doing anything wrong? You would want to punch him in the face all the time. Well, Jesus lived with that tension. He knew what they were thinking all the time, right? Like, of course Jesus struggled. One of the times it's actually documented in the Bible. There's several times it's documented in the Bible. One of the times is Luke 22. It says this, uh, Jesus had just done the Last Supper, or he'd done the Lord's Supper, and he was uh, literally going to the garden knowing that he was about to get betrayed. And it says this, he walked away about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and said, he prayed, Father, if you're willing, Please take this cup of suffering away from me. He knew what he was about to get into. And he says, yeah, I want your will to be done, not mine. He was in so much anguish and grief that an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And he prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Now, I'm not a doctor, okay? But I did Google a lot this week on this right here, okay? So uh, kind of like a doctor. But um, this is an actual condition. And it, I, it was too long for me to even pronounce. I'm not even going to do it, but it starts with an H. If you want to look it up, you can go look it up. But this is an actual medical condition. When someone is facing a lot of stress, like crazy amount of stress, this can happen. You can sweat blood out of your pores. It's crazy. I don't know what the ramifications are. I don't know what kind of medicine. I don't know what would stop this. But uh, this is actually is physically possible. It's, it happens. It's happened. It's very rare, but it happens. And it's a sign that Jesus was absolutely struggling in this moment. He was, he was struggling, mentally struggling, physically struggling. He knew that he was about to get betrayed, not only by uh, one of his closest people, but also God was about to turn his back on him when he was on the cross. I, I think that was probably worse than him knowing what was about to happen to him physically. And so absolutely did Jesus struggle. But why does that matter? Let me tell you why that matters. Hebrews chapter four. So then, since we have, uh, we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, uh, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do. He struggled just like we do, right? Yet he didn't sin. So because of that, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. It matters that Jesus suffered because when you're suffering, you can go to someone who went through it and he beat it and he wants to be there for you. So you can not only go, we should not come to God and go, God, would you just, if, if you have time, like, would you please help me? No, no, no. Say, God, I'm struggling. I need you. You can come boldly before God. Why? Because Jesus struggled on your behalf. You can go and say, God, I'm struggling with this. I need you to take this from me. This burden I'm bearing, it's, it's really heavy. Like I need, I need some help here. You can come before God's throne. Uh, you can come before him confidently, boldly, because he cares. He knows. He knows what it's like to, to struggle. He knows what it's like to be disappointed. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like. So we can come boldly and we can, um, we, can, we, can under, we can know that he understands exactly how we feel. Last question we're going to talk about is this, and this isn't even a question. A person just wrote, I'm lost. I'm trying to find myself. 
lost trying to find myself. And uh, I love this. And even though it's not a question, I wanted to speak into it a little bit because at some point in our lives, um, we're going to feel lost. And we're going to be like, who is this person? I, t- to be honest with you, I've been in a season, these last two years have been a season of that for me. Like, who am I? Like, what, like, I need to be okay with who I am. And uh, a lot of times that's a hard thing for us to accept. I know for me, like, I look at the things that God would call strengths in my life, and I look at them as weaknesses. And whenever you do that, like, you feel, you feel like you don't know yourself. I'm like, God, I don't, I don't like that I'm like this. Like, would you help change me? And God's like, no, that's who I made you to be. And I look at other people who seem like they're so confident in who they are. Maybe, I don't know if this is speaking to any of you. You feel like, man, if I could just be more like them, I think that'll help me. And then all of a sudden, you're like, no, God's like, I didn't want you to be another this person. I wanted you to be Clint. Like, I made you to be Clint. God made you to be you. The Bible says this in Psalm 139. It says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Some of us need to stop and thank God for who he created. God, thank you for making me disorganized and fun. I hate that about myself sometimes. But instead of hating, I'm going to go, God, you made me that way. Thank you. Thank you for making me a people person and not a process person because processes make me want to die. Like, you know, like I thank you. But in my brain, I think, man, if I could just get better at processes, man, we could, we could multiply this church by a thousand and we, it's going to be, and no, no, no. Clint, just be who I, call, who I made you. It said he knit together all the delicate parts. That's not only talking about your organs. That's talking about like, he gave you your personality. He gave you your likes and your dislikes. He gave you uh, the things that make you, you. He gave those to you. Thank him for it. Accept it. And it says your workmanship, it's marvelous. He did not make a mistake when he made you. And I love this last one, and not many of us can say this. It says, how well I know it. One of the best things you can do for yourself is to be a student of yourself. Learn who God created you to be so you can be it. That's what Steph and I spent a couple weeks ago in, in Washington. That was all what that was about. And I didn't know that at the time, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to become an expert on who God created me to be. Okay, what are the ins and outs of my personality? What, what are the ins and outs of my spiritual gifts? Like, I want to know these things so I can know it and I can acknowledge what God made in me. And this is like the, I'm, this is, I'm your pastor and I'm not afraid to admit this to you, but I'm a little embarrassed. This is the first time in my life I've not been ashamed of who God created and I've, I feel like I've found myself, but I found myself by going through God. And some of us, we feel lost in here and we're, we're searching for something. Like we're searching, like, God, would you just, like, I'm, I'm having trouble believing right now. Like I'm having trouble uh, really going there with you. Like I'm, I'm having trouble with this whole thing. And you're, you're, you're trying to, you're not really trying to find yourself. You're trying to find God. You feel lost. You're wandering around. I want to encourage you. The Bible says this. It says, you will seek me and you will find me. So there's a promise. If you seek me, you will find me. This is Jeremiah 29. If you seek me, you will find me. There's a guarantee. If you seek God, you will find God. But there's a condition. 
when you search for me with all your heart. You can't halfway seek God. You can't halfway be in. You, you got to go all in. Like, okay, God, I'm going all in with you. Like, I, I want to find you. The Bible says you will find him, but you got to find You got to search for him with all your heart, everything. So I would encourage you, man, if that's you and you're just feel lost and man, get into this book. Like, start here. Well, Clint, the Bible's hard for me to understand. Tell me that. I will have a Bible at your doorstep on Tuesday that you can understand, that you can read and like and enjoy. That can be our investment into you. Download the YouVersion app on your, on your phone. But start with this. Okay, once you start that, join a group. I love, I mean, our men's group on Tuesday mornings, by the way, if you're not there, if you're doing this, you need to be there. It's awesome. And I'm telling you, I'm beginning to see all of us, including me, start to change and go, man, the Bible's actually changing me right now, right? Like I, I'm, I'm learning what it means to be a man of God. And it's been so awesome to see, but a lot of times you don't get to see it unless you go all in. Join a group, start serving. I mean, my goodness, like go all in with God. I'll tell people, I've said this several times, if you can go all in with God and God doesn't radically change your life within a year, I'll change churches with you. All right, that's how confident I am. Like I, he will change your life if you seek him with all your, you gotta go all in. You can't halfway do it. You got to go all in. And if you wrote that question today, I want you to know, man, keep searching, dig a little deeper and be thankful for the person that God created you, how God created you, because it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Sorry, I went a little long today, guys. God, we just offer ourselves to you. Um, just as we're in here, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I want you to thank God for how he created you right now in this moment. Just thank God. Say, God, I thank you for the personality you gave me. Just thank God for it. God, you didn't make a mistake when you made us. I don't believe that at all. In fact, your word tells us in that verse that you are, we're a masterpiece and you're the artist. And I pray we can embrace that today. That who we are is exactly who you created us to be. And could we be more like you? Absolutely. But I pray you help us navigate that as we uh, figure out who the person is that you created, God. God, I thank you so much again for your faithfulness to this church. It's been so great. Thank you for the people in this room. I thank you for the sacrifice that a lot of these people make every week with their time and their resources, God, and their talents. They give them to you. And uh, I just pray you continue to bless this church, God. It's amazing to be a part of it. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.